1: My guest this week is the Chief Operating Officer of Conservative Friends of the Commonwealth, Sunil Sharma. Sunil, welcome to the show. Hi, Nathan. Great to be here. Thank you. Now, the Conservative Party Leadership Contest is well underway with five candidates remaining. What do you make of how the election campaign is going so far?
0: Oh, uh, It's been fairly eventful. Um, I am really interested in, I think, learning more about sort of these, where these candidates stand uh, economically. I think that's been, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, a massive uh, talking point. Um, And, you know, I I think probably aside from Liz trust in terms of her probably the most experienced and holding uh, many different sort of cabinet roles, I'm interested to learn actually more about these guys in terms of what they actually think, where they stand, economically, socially, um, because I wouldn't say they're unknowns, but they're they're all, a lot of them are relatively new. um, And so it's it's definitely an interesting debate going on.
1: And of course, this was all started because Boris Johnson resigned on the tail end of last week. And that, of course, triggers this leadership contest. But given everything that had happened in the run up to Boris Johnson's resignation, do you think it was right for so many Conservative MPs, well, ministers, to effectively remove Boris Johnson the way that he did through that coordinated resignation?
0: I I personally don't think it was. um, I I was very sad to see um, Boris resigning in in, in the manner he did. Um, I I would have definitely liked him to have more time in -hmm. the role. Um, I think although he was polling pretty badly, there was signs of some recovery there. Um, And so I I would have liked definitely him to have more time and, um, I, I didn't like when they talked about the sort of uh, twenty two committee um, changing the rules, so it, you know you can oust a leader, um, you, know, you can do the vote of no confidence uh, in, in a shorter time frame. I, I think that makes serious uncertainty and it, it questions why anyone would ever want to be a leader of the party when you can get removed so easily. So um, uh, overall, I, I wasn't happy with that sort of the way that the ministers and MPs came out. I don't think in house. Fighting really rarely helps situation, so um, I can understand why they've done it. I, I think what happened in Tiverton and then in the two by elections, um, show that there were some serious, you know, this was a, a really mm-hmm. affecting um the, the electorate and what they think. So, I do understand why it's happened, but overall, I wasn't too happy with it.
1: And again, with those events uh, leading up to his resignation, as you say, those two by election losses the allegations raised against the former Deputy Chief Whip, Chris Pincher. overall, do you think Boris Johnson's position had become untenable if those MPs hadn't done that mass resignation and he lost the confidence of the Parliamentary Party that way? Do you think, in the end, he would have had to resign as a result of all of those things?
0: See, I, I don't think he would have. I think he could have really battled for it. Um, mm. I think the, the MPs acting the way they did, I think it made his role yeah, you know, untenable with what they did. But I think if, if that didn't happen... Um, I, I think he could have persevered. I, I still think he could have carried on. I think he was definitely on the ropes and it would have been uh, a very tricky few months ahead um, for him. Um, but uh, overall, I think he had a, a potential and opportunity. I think the the war in, in Ukraine actually offers him, um, as sad as those events are, I think it offers it offered him a almost like a route out, a potential way for him to um, increase his polling numbers again and get focused on that. Um, I think some of the international journeys he did when he went to India, uh, Rwanda, I think it, this was all, all, again, really good PR for him to, on, on the world stage. So I, I think there was potential to see um, him go past this and and, and and go into 2024 in much better shape than the way he was. Uh, I think the MPs, um, especially the resignations in cabinet, I think that's obviously made his position uh, completely untenable um, I think some of them are, are suffering from it now I think Rishi Sunak in terms of his popularity within Conservative members is not really that great by the, by the looks on the data so far um, so I, I think there will there will be a s- small set of resentment from some people within the party
1: and with, with the leadership contest we've had the Attorney General Svela Bradman she was eliminated from the contest she didn't reach the 30 vote threshold on the second round of voting but given that she's now backing the Foreign Secretary, Liz Truss, do you think the right of the party should unite behind one candidate to get someone through to the members' ballots, be it Liz Truss or even Kemi Badenok?
0: Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think that will, will help drastically. But I think um, by the look of things, British is almost definitely going to be one of the two. Um, and I think the the second one is from the, the look of things, I, I think it's between Liz and, and, and Penny um to take on the role um to almost go head to head and I think whoever wins that battle will ultimately um become the, the leader of the Conservative Party and 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 the Prime Minister. Um but yeah I, I would like to see maybe some unity. I, I think there has been some really I think regardless of what happens, um I think Kemi's gonna come out of this in such high stead. You know, I think that's the a definite strong cabinet a cabinet position almost secured for her. Uh I think even Tom Togenhart I think the, the the final five I think of all um I think Kemi Tom Toganhart and and, and Penny have been the three that I think have really shined in this in this campaign. I, I don't think too many people maybe a few months ago would have predicted these three to be uh, in the in the final five. Um so I think they've done read really, really well i've been a bit surprised with Liz trust I, I thought she'd poll better i thought she'd get a lot more votes um it wasn't too long ago when she was i know a lot of the, the a lot of role of a um, role on sort of trade deals um but you know she was very popular at one stage and i i really thought that she would almost almost comfortably potentially be the next one um so I, I'm, I'm surprised at um how the almost i expected
1: more support for, for liz with that though so- do you think certainly for Liz Truss, and I, I know he's obviously resigned, but Rishi Sunak, do you think them actually serving in Boris Johnson's cabinet has hindered them? Or do you think actually that could help them to say, well, uh, you know, we've, we've had this experience at such a high level holding these great offices of state that therefore qualifies us to be prime minister? Do you think that would actually help or hinder them? I think with Rishi, I think it hinders him. Um especially with the members. I think
0: with the MPs it seems it's made no I think it's maybe helped. I don't think it's made much difference. Um but I think with the members for sure I think it's it's a hindrance. Um the 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 issue of the continuation of Boris Johnson, I think some people won't like that. I think the way he sort of essentially the way he did resign, the 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 message, I think that will hinder him. I think for Liz I'm surprised it's not. Um, she hasn't maybe given that picture of how experienced she is, not just in Boris Johnson's government, but you know she, she's held, she's held quite a few different positions within cabinet. Um, and so I, I, I'm tad surprised that that she's not bringing that up. The most she, for me of all the candidates is by far the most experienced, by far the most. Um, you know she's she's been the MP an MP the longest. Um, so I, I'm a bit surprised that she hasn't used that um that uh way of uh way of um almost marketing herself in terms of being the the most experienced, responsible, but that kind of um approach. But I don't think it hinders her too much. I think it I think it hit I don't think it's too much of a positive either with the Boris uh being in the administration. I think when she was foreign secretary, a lot of the time she was almost not even it didn't always feel like she was you know part of his cabinet it seemed like a lot of stuff she was doing by herself in terms of going to these countries doing these, these trade deals um so i don't think it makes too much difference right but i think for Rishi yeah, overall i think it does hinder him a little bit
1: but on the flip side of this you've got candidates like well like like kemi bedenock who's been a- consistently a middle ranking junior minister and yes she's been in uh, three maybe four different government departments but she's still been very middle ranking not going up not going down and of course there's Tom Tugendhat who's never had any ministerial position since becoming an MP in 2015 so again that almost separation between those two candidates and indeed Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak being in cabinet do you think that? lesser experience or perhaps in Tom Tugendhout's case a lack of experience would that help or hinder them
0: it's an interesting one because in in some ways they have that kind of clean slate uh the the pair of them they have that you know the uh almost a clean slate I I I think public perception may help them but I think overall it hinders them I think it's important Mm -hmm. to have that experience it's important to you know, have some difficult discussions almost to fail a little bit in the roles. I think you, you learn so much more taking a high profile position, being called out for it, being in the public scrutiny Um, to not have that and go straight to the top, I think um can be quite risky. Um I, I think the pair of them will come out of this. I think whoever wins, I think that those two in particular will, I think will end up with very good cabinet positions. Yeah. I think um Tom Tokenhart. Um, prior to this I always saw him as a future potential defence secretary very defence is the only thing I could really think about for him but I think he's mm. uh, starting to show that he's he's got much there's more to Tom Toggenhart than that um, I think with his army background I think there was that kind of tendency that's where he would be but I think it's a really good opportunity for him to show that he's more than just that and I think he kind of has and I think probably a bit more to do um, so I think those two in particular will end up with yeah, they'll, they'll be in the future of this yeah. Conservative Party for sure. You,
1: you've mentioned about Rishi Sunak. Obviously, he's got the most MPs backing him and uh, he's very popular within the parliamentary party. But you've you've mentioned that discrepancy between the, the wider membership, those grassroots members who, of, of course, will have that ballot when it's whittled to the final two. But why do you think there is that huge well, I suppose, really, it's almost a, a gulf between the Parliamentary Party and the Voluntary Party. You know, that there's a clear will almost for the Voluntary Party to have at least one candidate from the right against Rishi Sunak or someone from the more one-nation liberal wing of the party. But why why do you think there is that real gap between those two factions of the Conservative Party?
0: I, I think with Rishi, it's, it's, it's really difficult. I think yes, there's, there's a few... Um, in, inherent issues that with, with rishi um i think taking back to his role as chancellor i think a lot of people um one of the sort of criticisms i think a lot of people made is you know, was it what part of that boris johnson administration was conservative you know you, you can really make an argument that uh, that could have been a tony blair government that could have been you know it, it, there wasn't really much conservatism there um so i think that has stayed on with people um and I think people are, uh, the, the members are a bit skeptical about that. I think with Rishi Sunak, um, I think then there's the issue of him, I think, being seen as the one who really finished Boris Johnson off. Mm. I think that's uh, sometimes it's almost better to be the one afterward. I think him being the, I think his resignation pretty much made sure that there's no coming back for Boris Johnson. Mm. I think that some people hold resentment towards like, the members. Um, mm. I think there's, there's a bit of anger towards him there. I think then there's the uh, how rich he is card. I, I, I think that's a bit, personally for me, I think it's a bit harsh. I don't think um, that should really play a part, but I think it does with him being how rich he is. Um, I, I I think it's in some ways a bit unfair because then I always argue, that you know, what's the cap should we say? Mm. You know, there shouldn't be someone who's worth 100 million, 50 million, 10 million, one million, like where's the line? Um, but I think where it's, where I what I do agree with, um, because of his wealth, I think he has to almost um, he has to really show that he's relatable. He's got to show he's relatable a lot more than Tom Tuggenhart, for example. He he has a much harder job. So I I do get that side of the argument. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of question marks, I think, as members that we have towards Rishi Sunak. I think publicly he's probably seen as quite a unifying figure, as quite someone moderate, sits in the middle and you can unite people together. Um I think that's probably where the MP support comes in from and with what's happened with Boris and and, and people almost wanting a more, I suppose, a polished person, mm-hmm. um, which Richard, you can see from his videos the way he is. Yeah. He, he has come across as very, very polished. So mm-hmm. I think that's where the MP support comes in. But I think members-wise, um, I, don't, I don't think that's really something they care too much about. Um, So I think that's probably where the divide is.
1: So the first of the TV debates will take place this weekend, first being on Channel 4 and later uh, Sky and ITV. But how much of an impact do you think they will have in influencing the the wider membership when they do get to vote? I
0: I think it will play a massive part because I I think, you know, I I think I'm probably similar to a lot of members, which is undecided. Like, I I don't think, I think I could easily be swayed between... um, Any of these candidates, to be honest, I I don't think anyone here is a real clear front runner. I know Richie's doing so well parliamentary Mm. wise, but I think polling wise, you know, Penny Mournett's really not come out of nowhere. But again, I I, I highly doubt five months ago anyone would have said that she would be one of the favourites, if not the favourite now, to be Mm. the leader. So I I don't think there is a, you know, when Boris Johnson ran, uh, when he did, he did have a massive following. He was a much bigger brand um than everyone else almost i think with the with these five i think they're all um still establishing almost their brands and who they are so i i, I think this can play a really a big impact um but what's interesting what i what i found is we've we've seen rishi smack say quite a lot that you know he's a Thatcherite or he's given those kind of comparisons and and he said it in a couple of speeches recently but it what's interesting is the membership base almost wants to see more they i don't think they're fully convinced when he says this um so i'd be with him in particular i'm really keen on seeing some of his policies like what what I, i would love to see uh, from all of them almost like a mini manifesto of what they would and they've all said they would cut taxes but you know I, I would love to see a small kind of you know like almost like a you know a small kind of six, seven bullet points of this is what I would do my first 90 days or, or whatever. So um, I think they'll be, there'll
1: be interesting debates. Well whoever takes over as the next party leader, their first big test will be the annual party conference in October. So how challenging will it be for Boris Johnson's successor to reunite the party after what's already been quite a a divisive and fractious leadership contest?
0: It's a tough job. One of the things I I really don't like, uh, uh, I didn't like your Theresa May, as necessary as it may have been to remove her. I really don't enjoy this bit where you're effectively tearing lumps out of each other and then you have to unite together. And um, I think for the... um, for for the for the public i think watching that on display i don't think it's ever really good for the party Mm -hmm. in general um i don't think there's anything positive in in this process for the party um in the long term obviously getting a better candidate is is uh, the the idea and um overall that's 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 the aim of this um but it it is going to be difficult whoever takes that role in terms of uniting the party you know people are I think I've got quite short memories in terms of how difficult this was under Theresa May, if if we remember, um, you know, how hard it was, even with the initially the majority, then losing a majority, trying to pass, especially with Brexit, um, you know, it was a fairly divisive, fairly uh, divided party at that stage. And it took real courage, strength, whatever you want to call it, when Boris came in to do what he did, win that majority, get people on board, you know, Mm. remove people's whips, get, take, MPs that had been MPs, Conservative MPs for 10, 15 years, you know, essentially getting rid of them and bringing different people in. So, you know, it, it was not, um, it wasn't straightforward. So I think a lot of that divide is still there. Um, mm-hmm. So the next person's role in terms of shaping that, but I think that's why these debates on TV will be important to see some strength. I think Penny Morden, one of her, the good things, I, I think the perception at least of her is she does come across as somebody with a serious strength, serious, um, you know uh, a capacity to lead in, in some ways uh, that's another question mark I, I think i would have over rishi and liz in particular um do they have that strength that ability to endure? penny almost automatically with a navy kind of background we kind of have this image of her as somebody who is a powerful leader if you like so um it's a tough job, it, I think, come October time when we're at party conference to see uh, this leader reunite yeah. the different factions.
1: The next general election is most likely going to be held in 2024. As things stand, Labour have a double digit lead over the Conservatives. So can the Conservative Party turn their fortunes around in two years or has, has, the, has simply has too much happened for them to stay in office and win a fifth term for the first time in British political history?
0: I think if this was, um, if the Labour Party had, let's say, a young Tony Blair, ninety-seven Tony Blair, two thousand Tony Blair, I think it probably would be uh, pretty much over. I think you could. I think the Labour Party would be the next government. I think maybe a bit of luck in this, in in the Conservative Party is the the opposition is nowhere near as strong as it was. It's not the opposition a drum major had with Tony Blair and, you know, how they were. It's not the same opposition. It's a, it's a, it's definitely a weaker opposition. Um, so I think even with this gap, I think there's definite potential in turning this around. Um, mm-hmm. one of the things I think Labour Party have good at in the last couple of days, especially, uh, Sikir Starmer is the, him basically saying, uh, uh, they're going to follow through a Brexit. he's been a lot clearer on this um you know he's been generally quite wishy-washy on that and i think it's cost him a lot of seats a lot of votes on their stance on brexit the fact that he's actually come out now and said you know they would act he even talked about yesterday i think cutting more red tape with the european you know cutting making it easier to do other trade deals so i think that as a concern i think that's a bit worrying because i think it just shows that finally it seems like something's Dropped it in their heads on the, on that stance. Um, that said, I think they're as divided as the Conservative Party. Maybe right now, I think they're a pretty divided party mm-hmm. in general. I think, I think, although maybe Sikir generally is probably a fair centralist, I think there's still some serious left wing, you know, almost far left wing fractions within that party, and they do seem. Um, I I I I'm not sure how long we'll see what we're seeing at the moment—a fairly stable-ish Labour opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the Conservative Party are definitely helped by the opposition that, that there is now. But that said, you know, I, I could easily see, for example, a Labour Lib Dem kind of coalition um, if they didn't get enough over the seat. That wouldn't really surprise me right now. Um, but I, I think that's why the, the this next leader, you you really want it to be as quick as possible, not do too much damage to the party, yeah. um, and to really come up with a mm-hmm. clear, almost aggressive approach.
1: Okay, well, well, let's move away from the leadership contest and look at the Commonwealth, which is, of course, the basis of your organisation. And is there still a place for the Commonwealth in the world today?
0: Definitely. Um, I think now more than ever, um, I think the importance of the, the Commonwealth is, it, it, it is, it's, it's very clear. Um, there's been a massive change, I think, in the last few years. I think, um, just for me, in, in doing this role, in terms of the reception the Commonwealth got maybe three or four years ago compared to now, is completely different. Um, I think, with what's happened in China, with COVID, what's going on in Russia, Ukraine, us leaving the European Union, I think all these are signs of um, not the Commonwealth can replace, but a Commonwealth can help. Um, and I think for a long time it's been a bit of a taboo subject. It's been a bit of a, you know, every time you say Commonwealth, people the first thing people tend to talk about is British Empire 2.0 or, or colonialism. That like always seems. I think that seems to have changed or is changing as as we speak more and more about it. Um, I think. A lot of people in politics, wherever, even even the non-commonwealth countries, I like, do so much stuff with the states, both Republicans and Democrats. Always say to me, it's so surprising how little you use the Commonwealth as in Britain and all the countries you have. You know, like like we always talk about shared history, shared values, a lot of times same language, and you know, even they would often say it's pretty really bizarre how under how underused you you have that access and you don't use it. So, I think the the place in the Commonwealth right now with everything that's going on in the world is. Probably, it's showing its most important, um, its most important, uh, its most important time almost in 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 quite in, in quite a long time.
1: Is the Commonwealth just simply a, a relic from the British Empire, as many of its critics would claim it to be?
0: No, I, I think you know at the at the end of the day, the British Empire happened. You know, it happened um, for a considerable amount of time, and I think you know we, we can all acknowledge now in in twenty twenty two that. country shouldn't own another country or have control over another country i think we can all i think everyone is generally universally agreed Mm -hmm. on this um and the thing that i always have to say in anything we we do commonwealth-wise is everyone is part of the Commonwealth has chosen to be a part of it no one is there by force you know people can leave tomorrow uh south africa is a really good example of they left the commonwealth and then they rejoined later on Mm -hmm. um so you know we saw just now Gambon and, and, and Togo, which are two countries that had no British Empire ties and they've joined the Commonwealth. So you know I think it was Gambon who even said about how they want to be closer to Britain and, and uh, English speaking countries than France, even though they're on ex-French economy. Um so it, it's it's it shows that the, the British Empire stuff, that kind of rhetoric is it's it's gone. It's not it has no role or plays little to nothing in in, um, in the Commonwealth now. But um, it, all it is for me, I think, is just potential, raw potential for us to benefit, them to benefit. So,
1: so uh, you mentioned that Togo and Gabon have only just joined the Commonwealth and Rwanda, which has only just hosted the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting, that wasn't a, a member of the British Empire. That's a country that's joined the Commonwealth later on. There's another five countries that have submitted applications to join the organization. So, what is it about the Commonwealth that's attracting so many new members?
0: Well, I, I think we're seeing a much bigger commitment uh, from countries, um, from UK, Australia, New Zealand, in, in particular, kind of those four that the sort of Kanzuk uh, group. I think that there seems to be uh, a willingness to want to be a part of a, a group of countries that well hopefully um uh, i think a lot of people see its potential the potential of uh helping whether it be human rights whether it be trade whether it be closer collaboration security i think with what's going on in in china potentially you know, even taiwan the china taiwan conflict with, with covid all that sort of stuff the war in russia ukraine there is a lot of instability across the world right now maybe one of the most unstable times for that we've had in in a very long time so being part of an organization um, that it has uh, deep historic um, values and, uh, um, and, and principles. I think there's a natural attraction to try and be a part of that. Um, and if anything, it, it shows the, the role that Britain can play. Um, and, it, and it shows that um, there, there is a lot more to, to the world, and a lot more to everything than just the European Union, which I think for a long time, if you asked a lot of these Commonwealth countries, Uh, they would say they always didn't really feel like there was much use of the Commonwealth, especially when it came to Britain.
1: You've mentioned there that, of course, the the UK has been a real champion of the the Commonwealth. And at the heads of government meeting in Rwanda a few weeks ago, you had the the UK and Canada represented by, of course, Boris Johnson, Justin Trudeau. But it was noticeable that the prime ministers of Australia, New Zealand, India and Pakistan were, were not in attendance. They sent their foreign ministers or equivalent. So... Do you think those countries, which are undoubtedly some of the most influential in the Commonwealth, do you think they see the organization as being less important than the UK and Canada and some of the other members do?
0: That that was really disappointing to see that. I think that the heads of states from those countries not come, especially India and Australia um, with their populations and and, and how much uh, how strong their economies are. That was definitely a disappointing thing to see. Um, I, I, I think they, they definitely see the value in it. I think they definitely believe in the overall concept. but I think the the, the issue of Australia, I think you've almost got to take it case by case Australias've got a new um, a fairly new prime minister and it's uh, uh, the, uh, the, the left sort of side for them now has kind of come into play and you know, it wasn't too long ago Australia had, did have the republic debate which ultimately in the end, uh they went against and that they stayed with our sort of uh, our our monarchy system um so there is definite challenges um and it's something we really can't take for granted with those countries for sure i I don't think they will necessarily put up with just um what's probably what's happened in the last 15-20 years especially how about the way um with the european union we've kind of prioritized that over all of these countries um and it's not even prioritized but i think we've just ignored uh, quite frankly i think there's there's examples where you know minister they've uh, i think ministers have were coming to england from places in in europe whereas australia it was it's like seven years until we saw like one minister at one stage come to this country so you can see there's probably an underlying a bit of um resentment or a bit of work that needs to be done there uh and, and that's actually one of the things like does concern me in terms of when we're talking earlier leadership race um is i think boris Johnson did a fantastic job in um promoting some of the some of the commonwealth i think especially with india i think the relationship uh, with uh england and india and uh, Britain and india is probably the best it's been in you know you're, you're talking 30 40 maybe longer years uh, between these two countries these two in particular uh, boris and Modi have really clearly built a connection um so that is a definite, now obviously he's not here, it?
1: that's a concern. And at the summit, uh, it was reported that uh, Boris Johnson wanted to replace the Secretary General, Baroness Scotland, with another candidate, one he'd backed from Jamaica, but his efforts were unsuccessful. Why would Boris Johnson want a new leader of the Commonwealth? Um, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I think maybe
0: play a much more active role. I think, you know, one, one of the things that we, we don't see enough of is um a sort of regular updates on what's going on in in these commonwealth states it seems you know, whether it's our news cycles or just generally, it, it's something that's always a back burner. So I, I think maybe bringing a fresh new face in, signifying a, almost like a new start almost, you know, that this is something that we're taking extremely seriously. We're taking it so serious that we're going to actually appoint a brand new uh, a leader for this. So I think that is what I'm guessing would have been the approach. I think maybe some of his own at that time, he obviously, was having serious difficulties here in the UK. I think that could have been a good uh almost distraction in some ways you know um talking about the Commonwealth and that being the you know him running with that instead of the criticism he's getting in the UK and we can start to talk about mm-hmm. the new leader in, in the Commonwealth so um I think that would have been a, a potential reason I I was actually really open with the idea of a new Commonwealth channel so not just not because I think the the current one's been bad or anything but I think it just gives more attention um to the Commonwealth which I think is always a good thing mm-hmm. so I think that's probably a mixture of why you yeah. he was looking to
1: replace. The, the Queen is, of course, the head of the Commonwealth and one day Prince Charles will succeed her in that role. But Prince William's spoken about the fact that he might not have that role when he takes the throne. Do you think the Commonwealth can survive without the monarchy? It's a really interesting uh, question. Um, I think it can. I think it will, it, it will
0: become like a very pragmatic organisation. I think that, that's what the, um, that's how I think it would survive post-monarchy uh, if that was to ever happen. I, I, I'm a bit more sceptical and a bit more worried about that. I think what keeps the Commonwealth tied in is the fact that we have this unifying monarch who keeps keeps us together, even when, you know, for the last 10, 15 years, you know, what has the Commonwealth really done? Not a great deal, but it's still kept together. I think a big reason for that is the Queen. Um, mm-hmm. Not having the Queen there, I think it would be a very different subject and a very different conversational matter i think there'd be a lot more scrutiny towards it um so i i, I don't um although i think it, it can definitely survive without the monarchy i'm not sure how wise that would be going forward but it is, it's a fair point and i think there, there will be um when prince charles does become king there, there will be i think Serious question marks, and people will scrutinise the Commonwealth and the monarchy all over again. I think you you look at the Queen's approval versus the monarchy approval; they're very different. A lot of people love the Queen, maybe not so keen on the monarchy now. When she's no longer there, I think there will be that um, those question marks all of a sudden about the monarchy: what's its purpose, and all that kind of stuff.
1: And of, of course, you you run Conservative Friends of the Commonwealth, and could could you just give us an outline of what Conservative Friends of the Commonwealth is and some of the things you do around the topic of the Commonwealth?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, um, we, we essentially, we, we try and bring uh, conservative governments across the, across the world, across, across the Commonwealth, and we try to build closer ties uh, with them. We, we, we try and promote, generally, conservatism and Commonwealth um, in, in this country to as many people as we can. We, we, we lobby for closer relationships um, with the, the British government, again, with Commonwealth partners, um, so we're actively involved in, in, in trying to really push that forward. Obviously, this year we have the Commonwealth mm-hmm. Games, uh, which, which will be a really, really good highlight. Um, we're regularly doing events, so a lot of our members will have access to events that we do, whether it be in person or virtually. Um, so we, it's a combination of lobbying for the, the, the close ties of the Commonwealth, but also in some ways the educational aspect of just talking to people about the Commonwealth. So we regularly have fairly high profile people on our sort of podcast and our platform where, uh, we will talk with them about what the Commonwealth means to stem. It could be an Australian prime minister. It could be a current New Zealand MP. It could be someone based in Canada. Um, so the, the idea is is pretty much to, um, yeah, try and build that, that that closer ties
1: with the Commonwealth. Okay, so just to finish, we'll, we'll go back to the leadership contest. You've said that you're undecided at the moment on which candidate you're backing, so see, seeing as you're not backing a candidate at the moment, I'll ask you who do you think will make it to the fi- the final two and go forward to the members' ballot? So if I had to vote
0: uh, tomorrow, I think I'd vote Liz Trust. If, if I could mm-hmm. pick, um, that would be my, okay. my candidate. I, I think most experienced, um, uh, has the, the 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 principles and values that I believe in in terms of what she said about conservatism, in terms of what she wants to do, um, I, that would be my preferred uh, candidate as of today. Um, I think prediction wise, I, I it it just seems like it's going to be Penny Morden. I? I think she seems to have really good momentum going on. Um, on her side so I envisage it being her and Rishi going down to the, the ballot and I think I think Penny would win that um, when it comes to the members vote um, but yeah I, I, I want to see more from all of them to be honest it, it's been an interesting few weeks I not necessarily them tearing lumps at each other I'd rather just really them being clearer on exactly what they stand for because it's been a concern for me and I, and I know lots of other members about how conservative or how unconservative the last government was and you know you can a lot of people would say well it was covid and they'll use that as an as, as the rationale behind it well okay we're, we're past that now so what does your an idol rishi sunak government list Trust, uh kemi tom Tuganop, what do their governments look like and what would they be doing so i'd be very i'm interested to hear that
1: okay sinil sharma thank you very much for coming on the show thank you nathan thank you